I'd like to transition now the young people, ages K through 5th grade, if they would so do, uh, to a children's experience tailored to our younger uh, disciples. Uh, and they uh, will follow Miss Whitney, be throughout the second part of our worship series, and come back in the later part. Of course, children are welcome to stay throughout entirety of worship, and we have child care available to those who are younger. I want to uh, bring welcome and greetings to all of you from the 174th Annual Conference of the Northern Illinois Conference of the United Methodist Church, or for those of you who like acronyms, the 174th AC of the NIC of the UMC, would be the official thing, the uh, yearly gathering of all 375 churches plus new faith communities and extensive ministries uh, throughout the Northern Illinois Conference of this body, the church called the United Methodist Church, uh, where we meet and we fellowship and we worship and we legislate, legislate, and there's also legislation, uh, but it's a wonderful time um, to uh, catch up with everyone, to make some connections. Um, and, and I know this year uh, we tried something different. Uh, instead of just uh, raising some money for mission from the people who were there, uh, we decided to collect money from all the churches. And I don't know what the uh, the final figure was, but I know normally we would collect, you know, maybe two thousand dollars for Imagine No More, La- More Malaria. Imagine. No more malaria, and we'll talk more about that here in the coming year, um, and some other ministries of the church. But uh, in the first day, we raised over $60,000 this year under the leadership of our new bishop, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and we hope that will uh, not only support uh, new faith communities like our own, uh, but support mission around our cities, around our country, and around our world. So let us join together in prayer as we transition now to our teaching time. Lord, we thank you for this uh, beautiful week, this almost summer-like week, and we ask that now in this moment, in this place, in this time, that you send your Holy Spirit upon us, that you let it rest in our hearts, that we may truly hear your word with new ears, that we may listen to your voice with a new understanding, that our hearts may move us in directions in new ways because we are following you, that we may be forgiven and transformed into people of new life through Jesus Christ. Be with us now. We call upon you once again that we can experience you through teaching, through praise, through worship, through fellowship. That we may grow closer to you, closer to one another, and closer to your kingdom each day. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you once again to New Life. I am Mark Myers, the uh, pastor of New Life. And I also want to remind you, as I welcome those listening online and those listening through our podcast, that if you miss a teaching time or would like to listen to a teaching time again, that they are all online at our website, www.findnewlifeumc.org. Or you can go on iTunes and search uh, New Life UMC, and you can subscribe to our podcast and listen to them every week, catch up things that you've missed, Uh, catch up things that you uh, would like to hear again. Tonight we begin our theme series for this second year of our ministry, Former's Footsteps. Now as the body of Christ, also called the church, we are called to one united mission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That is the mission of every United Methodist Church 
every church, regardless of denomination, every person who calls themselves a Christian because we believe that before he ascended back to heaven, Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that is the instrument for world change and life change that we need uh, to make an impact in our world. Here at New Life, we believe that we accomplish that through three things, finding, forming, forwarding. We believe that if you want to make disciples and transform the world, you have to go out and find them, then you have to form them, then you have to forward them out to do the same thing. It's pretty simple, but it's also a little scary. Last year, the first year of our ministry, we focused extensively on finding practical ways for you to go out to your community, to go out to your neighbors, to get engaged in the world, and to find people in need of Christ's love. Ways to do that. Steps to do that. And we we had a series called The Finders Five. If you're interested in that, of course, it's online. And you can listen to all of those Finder Five sermons uh, and understand a little bit more about finding Tonight, we're going to ask ourselves a question. And the question is, now that we've found people, and now that we understand how to find people, how do we form them as disciples? How do we make disciples? And are we disciples in the first place? Because certainly if we're disciples, or not disciples, we cannot make other people something that we're not. You can't teach someone to be a master chef if you're not a master chef. So if you want to make disciples, certainly you have to be a disciple in the first place. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at a process of discipleship that has four, which is really convenient because there's four weeks, steps. And that process is fellowship, faith, I have to remember the third one, following, fellowship, faith, following, and finally. And finally is at the end, which is also convenient. It's easy to remember. Fellowship, faith, following, and finally. Each week we're going to look at these steps from three different perspectives. The former's perspective, and the former is God. Being formed, or being a disciple, and then forming others, or making disciples. So we need to understand what God is doing, how we become a disciple, and how we make other people disciples. My prayer for all of us is that after this series, you understand what God is doing in your life, you understand your own faith journey a little bit better, and you understand what you need to do to disciple others. So, let's get started. God is the former. Alright? God is the one who forms things, who creates. Now let's go back to the beginning, all right? Not the beginning of the worship service or the beginning of our lives. Let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God. And just stop and think about that for a second. It will kind of blow your mind. In the beginning, yeah, exactly. In the beginning, God, period. End of sentence. Now whether you believe in God or not, Either way, that's kind of crazy, thinking about the beginning, because we know scientifically that the universe didn't exist at some point. 
And we believe as Christians, the universe didn't exist at some point. So at some point, we believe there was just God. And to understand that is beyond understanding because God is beyond time and space and everything else. But we know this. At some point in the beginning, God decided or spoke and started forming things. And God started forming things like planets and stars. And on Earth, the planet that we are all currently engaged with, God started forming things like oceans and land and seas. And then God formed things like animals and birds and fish. And then God formed humanity and God formed them male and female in the image of the divine. And to this day, God continues to form. God's formation did not just happen in a moment in time. It continues, and God continues to form relationships over and over and over again. Through Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit, God wants to form us. God wants to form each one of us here tonight as new creations, as something new. Even in our new life, even if we believe we're disciples and we believe in Christ, God is still forming us. Now, once our time on earth is over, God will form us. We believe into the resurrection. And I think even post-resurrection, there will be some forming going on. Now, that's purely speculative. Now, it's easy to see God forming in the world around us as you watch things grow, as you watch things interact. But it can be really hard for us to see God forming us. It might be easy to go outside and see, yes, God has formed mountains and canyons and trees and animals, but is God forming me? In the early church, early theologians gave a name to the process of God forming us, and they called that process grace. Grace is God's loving action in our lives. It is God forming us here and now and before and after in all times. Now, the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, he had four types of grace, which is convenient because we have four weeks. All of this is really getting convenient, right? <laughs> yeah, like it's been planned out. These four types of grace, which we will cover over the four next weeks, provenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, perfect grace. And if we are going to understand how God forms us and how we enter into the process of discipleship and discipling, we have to understand a little bit about grace. So I want to start with the beginning. And that beginning is provenient grace. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open your books to uh, the book of Titus. Titus is a little tiny letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, oddly enough, found in the New Testament right before uh, Hebrew and James, near the end. Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 14. And if you have it on your phone or, or whatever, get those out and reference that. It's also on the screen. Hear these words. This is an interesting passage. We don't hear often. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives 
right now by rejecting ungodly lives and the desires of this world. At the same time, we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself to us in order to rescue us from every kind of lawless behavior and cleanse a special people for himself who are eager to do good work. I like that. Um, I like that passage. And the reason I'm using it tonight is really that first verse. uh, And we'll leave it up here. Verse 11, the, the numbers are not there. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. We believe through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, the broken relationship between God and humanity was mended. That we were able to once again have a relationship with the God who created all things. That means new life is available to all people. Now, obviously, not all people are disciples. We know that. But, provenient grace is the grace, the power, and action of God working in every single person, whether or not they are a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is the kind of grace, the kind of work, that God has used in our lives well before we were born, well before we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's the grace, the provenient grace, that allows people who don't necessarily always act good to do good things. It's the grace that calls us. It's a whisper that calls us into relationship and brings people back to the church or to the church for the first time. Provenient grace is God with you even when you are running away from God. Let me try to illustrate a little bit. I didn't truly accept Christ into my life until I was 20 years old, and I've talked about that before. But God was still forming me. I tried to stay connected to the church, as a lot of young people do going off to college, but I felt pushed away from the local church, and so I stopped going on Sunday morning. But God was still forming me. God called on disciples at my school. Men and women who believed Jesus Christ was Lord. To come into my life and call me to take religion classes with them, even though I was a psychology and computer science major. God called me away from one group of friends into another group of friends. Friends that valued things. Friends that involved people who were disciples into a fellowship. And that fellowship at one point was described as the ideal church. I'll talk about that a little bit later. God called me out of a quiet or called me out into a quiet campus early on Saturday mornings before I went to work to experience Sabbath in a real way. God opened my heart to trust others and to truly love them. And even though I turned my back on God, God continued to form me because of provenient grace. Now God's grace was working in my heart and I didn't even know it. Provenient grace is God loving you when you're not loving God. So how does this lead us into discipleship? That's what God is doing. How does that make us disciples? After all, provenient grace invites you to the table. It's that whisper from the time you were born until the time you commit to the life of a Christian. 
But if you are invited to the table and you don't come, if you don't sit down, you will not partake in the feast. You're all invited to stay after worship tonight to eat. If you go home, you will not join in the fellowship. That's how it works. Now God was calling me back into relationship, back into the church, and back into the ordained ministry, but I could have gone my entire life not recognizing that it was God working in my life. Why? Because the gospel is not intuitive. And this is important as we try to understand the people that we're finding and the people that we're forming. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this story, is not intuitive. If you go out and you had someone who was isolated from everything, who lived in a cabin in the woods and had no media, had no books, had nothing, they may come to believe in God. They may come to believe in gods. They may come to believe in a power higher than themselves. But they will not wake up one day and say, Hallelujah, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then, who? well, who's Jesus Christ? It's not intuitive. It's not intuitive because the only way for you to know who Jesus Christ is is for you to read the story or for someone to tell you about it. It's not intuitive. It's not natural because it's about a point and place in history. And if you don't know the history, if you've never been exposed to it, if you're not part of the fellowship, it won't happen. So how do we get into that process? How do we start hearing the story? Now for me, and for many people, the first step was fellowship. It was joining a community. Jesus did it in the Gospel. He called a group of people together into fellowship, into a community. And they formed around His teaching. The early church did the same thing. They invited people into the fellowship and they taught and they learned. The fellowship was the first step. And it's the first step we as formers, as people who want to be disciples, it's the first step we have to take. We must engage in the fellowship. If you are here tonight, you're already in the building. If you are here tonight and you don't feel like a disciple of Jesus Christ and you're not involved in the fellowship, that's why. You have to connect. You have to get involved. You have to be in relationship. Here, I, I want to share a, a wonderful passage, and it's a passage we've read many times and we will read many times because it tells us really what the church should be. It's from Acts chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts in the New Testament. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many miracles and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day, they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone the Lord added daily to the community of those being saved. The church is the embodiment of Christ on earth because it is a fellowship of disciples. Look at the early church, what we just read. They 
prayed together. They learned together. They ate together. They were awestruck together. They experienced God together. They gave together. They worshipped together. They were glad together. Do you see a pattern there? They lived life together in fellowship. That is the first step. You must enter the fellowship of the church. You must engage in the community if you want to understand the next steps. Now maybe God has been calling you back into it or into it for the first time in your life. And if you want to be a disciple, believe me, the first step, join the community, the fellowship, the body of Christ. Now you may ask yourself, and some of you may be asking yourself, shouldn't I believe in Christ before I become a disciple? Shouldn't I believe in Christ before I get engaged in the community? Well, I'll say this, you should believe in Christ before you say you believe in Christ. But, belief in Christ isn't intuitive. God doesn't expect people to believe in Christ on their own. God created us in relationships so that we, disciples, would lead other disciples back to Him. Back to Jesus Christ. God formed us in this fellowship and God continues to form others because of the, uh, because of the fellowship. It is the job description of everyone here, everyone who claims Jesus Christ is Lord, to bring them into fellowship so that other people can come to know Christ for themselves. So how do we do that? We know if we want to be disciples, we have to be engaged in the fellowship. But how do we engage other people? How do we form them? Now theologically, we don't. God does the forming. We don't save anybody. We don't got you know, notches on our belt. But we are tools in this process. God uses disciples to make disciples. And I think that's so important. God is not making disciples without us. God needs us to be in the world to make these disciples. Now we believe Jesus commanded us to make disciples. And we believe we are doing that work. And we believe it all starts with fellowship. Earlier I mentioned that God brought me into a fellowship. A fellowship that formed me. I grew up in the church, as many of you know. And growing up in the church gave me the understanding of what the gospel was. It let me know the story so I knew the parts. I knew the Christmas story and the Easter story. I knew the, the idea of the gospel. I had studied the Bible. I had grown up in an atmosphere that had given me that foundation. So when I was away from the church, I still had that foundation. Even when I felt shut off and away from the church, God's grace was still working in my life and I was still able to connect because of, uh, because of fellowship. In the first few months of my college life, I got involved with a group that had some very destructive patterns, as many college people do. A group that kind of valued drinking and drugs and other things a little bit more than they valued positive things. But within a few months of my time at Cornell where I went to school, I had heard a, a neighbor, actually just right across the hall, 
talking about a game that I played. And so I went over and I engaged them in conversation because that's what you do sometimes when you hear other people talking. Some, for introverts, I know that's a little hard. But for those of us extroverts, that's pretty easy to walk across the hall. Now, some of you know and some of you don't that I grew up in a, in a comic shop that was kind of my third home besides home and church was the comic book shop and the gaming shop. And so that was an important part of my life, an important part of my growing up. And so when I heard someone talking about something that I shared a common interest, I got involved. And they were part of a group, a social club, because at Cornell we didn't have frats or whatever the shortened version of sororities is. Sorries, I don't... Anybody in a sorority? I don't know. Just call them sororities, I guess. It seems like there should be a funner thing to say. Because frats is kind of a fun. Sorries. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I became involved in this social club that was revolved around gaming and revolved around fellowship that did not involve drinking or drugs. Now, after a year and a half, I unknowingly would have met or unknowingly met several disciples who joined with me and continued to form me even though I didn't realize I was being formed. By the end of my second year of school, that small group of kind of misfits and outcasts would become the largest, most well-organized, and most powerful group on campus, boasting 10% of the student population, boasting the uh, kind of pinnacle of the Constitution, and boasting the most involvement in our community. The college chaplain actually once described this group as the ideal church. And she did that because she felt that regardless of who they were, regardless of what they believed, this group invited everyone in to the fellowship. That it didn't matter where you were or what you liked or what you did or what you looked like. You were invited into this fellowship. And that's why it grew so fast and that's why it became so powerful because of that simple thing, that simple commandment, you should love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not saying everything was perfect all of the time. Certainly there was plenty of college drama. But in the end of the day, this fellowship formed me and helped me connect back to the church. Helped me connect back with ministry. Helped me because I joined a fellowship and because there were disciples within that fellowship who grabbed onto me and discipled me, I was able to make a claim for myself and continue my journey past fellowship into faith. Now, fellowship is the first step. If you want to make disciples, invite them into the fellowship. It's not the end of the journey. Many people remain in fellowship their entire lives. There are entire churches of people who are just in fellowship. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's not the end of the journey. That's not what God has in store for you. That's not the best that God has in store for your life. But as much as we want to rush into the next step and just baptize people and form them and teach them the Bible and tell them how to pray and say you've got to know these six prayers and and these six things and you've got to come to this Bible study and this group, we have to start with fellowship. We have to start by inviting people in. Allowing them to live life the way we live life 
so that they may see Christ through us. Now that's just the first step. There are how many others? There are three more. Four total. There's a lot of fours in this, so that may be important later on. And we have a long way to go, but if you want to be a disciple, and if you want to make disciples, that is the first step. So this week I want you to do a couple things, and I think there's going to be on the screen. Every week we're going to look at what God does, how we are discipled, and how we disciple others. So this week I want you to do a few things. I want you to ask yourself, where have I seen God today? Because understanding grace is understanding God in your life. And that is world-changing, life-changing things. If you cannot go to bed tonight, if you go to bed tonight and you cannot look back over the day and say, this is where I saw God, there may be a problem. I'm not saying that every day is good because sometimes some days are tougher than others. But if you cannot look back on this last week or this last month and see where have I seen God, there might be a problem. So ask yourself, where have I seen God today? I ask myself that every day. Sometimes I write it down if there's something particularly powerful. I meet with someone every month and that's what they ask me. Where have you seen God this month? How is it with your soul is another question. But that's an important thing. Start looking for God. And start seeing God in your life. Every single day. Now second, I want you to engage in the fellowship. If you don't feel like you're truly a disciple, but you're here uh, you know, on a regular basis, get involved. There's a lot of ways you can do this. Start serving the church in some way. Come to the picnic coming up. Come uh, be involved with us when we're at Roscoe. Come share a meal with us afterwards. Invite some of us over to your house for a meal. Invite somebody here out to lunch this week. Get involved in the fellowship. That's going to be the first step. There's other steps, but that is at least the first step. There are no solo Christians. There's only the body. It's a team sport. Now, in terms of forming others, because it's not just good enough to be formed as a disciple, Jesus calls disciples to make disciples. So the best way to do that is to invest in inviting. That's something we've said before from the series last year called Go Fish by Andy Stanley, something they do at um, his church called North Point. But it's a great little slogan because it's catchy. Invest in inviting. You need to invite people into the fellowship. Does that mean inviting them here on Saturday night? Yes. Does that mean inviting them to a picnic or an aviators game or any of our kind of more casual events? Yes. Does that mean inviting them to help set up chairs or serve communion or make coffee? Yes. Does that mean inviting them over to your house for dinner? Yes. Does that mean inviting them over to your house to see you and your husband or wife argue? Yes. Does that mean inviting them over to your house to see them or, or to see you when you're really at your wit's end with your kids. Yes. It's a fellowship. And, and the early church didn't eat together and pray together and, and perform miracles together on good days. They did it all the time. And believe me, there were bad days and you keep reading in Acts and you read about a few of them. So invite people into 
the fellowship, the fellowship of your life and the fellowship of the church. And I think that will be a great step in the right direction. So it all starts there. It starts with a simple thing, something called fellowship. Amen. I remind you now as we transition that we are sharing a meal together after worship. I just want to emphasize, if you didn't bring anything, stay anyway. Those of us who did probably brought some extra. There's a good story in the Bible about loaves and fishes. That generally is the case in this kind of scenario. Things tend to multiply. Please stay anyway. If you feel real guilty, like I said, go down and get some fried chicken, because I like fried chicken. And then... Well, someone else can give you another suggestion. And then come back at, at KFC 173, uh, original recipe. Thank you. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, dark meat. No. I'm just... Egg, no, I'm, no, no, no. I'm a little picky. That's correct. Uh, I do. Uh, the boneless is pretty good. I like that. You can put that on a sandwich. You can eat that. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be nice. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, I do encourage you to come. Uh, and, and we're going to do that on the second Saturday of every month this summer. So uh, July 2nd Saturday, August 2nd Saturday. And if it works, we'll keep doing it. Um, I, I've never been to a potluck that, that... That's potluck for those who don't know the, the language. What? As long as I get, because I don't get it any other time, potlucks is the only, the only fried chicken. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, may, I may eat fried chicken on a regular basis. Obviously, among other things that aren't good for me. So I, I do encourage you to uh, be part of that. Um, uh, on weeks that we're not doing that, a lot of groups go out. Uh, after, after worship, and a big group always goes out to Sophia's, encourage you to take part of that. This Wednesday, we are starting a form. So if you want to talk more about Provenian Grace, if you want to talk more about fellowship, if you want to um, tell me I'm wrong, if you want to ask questions, um, you know, if you want to quote, quote Scripture at me, that's a great time to do that. Uh, and we do that in fellowship, and we learn together, and we laugh together, and uh, we get a little closer together. Uh, the picnic coming up, also a great opportunity uh, again, that's going to be a potluck, so bring uh, table service, uh, though, because we won't have it. Um, and we'll have some hot dogs and stuff like that, uh, and, and bring, bring fried chicken. And, uh, but yeah, we'll have, we'll have a couple grills, so if you want to bring some meat to grill, you can do that too. Do, do please read your uh, New Life news that gets sent out every Thursday. If you're not on that mailing list, uh, just fill one of these out, and we will get your email on that mailing list. Uh, that tells you about a lot of things that are coming up, including our Aviators game, which if you want to come along to the Avi- Avi- <laughs> Aviators game, uh, that's going to be August 2nd, which is a Friday night at 7.05. Uh, but we will want to get um, your reservations before that. It's, tickets are going to be about $10 a person. Uh, and then we'll order in uh, group rate. We had a really great time last year going to the, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Rockford River Hawks became the Rockford Aviators, uh, and so the, the baseball team here in Rockford. So with that, we will collect our offering and our tithes for the night as we transition now into our uh, praise and our forwarding time. So let us uh, come to an uh, attitude of prayer as we remember those who are not here.
those in need. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to worship. We thank you for this wonderful space that we have to worship. We thank you for uh, all of the churches uh, in this Northern Illinois Conference who gathered together this weekend to celebrate, to laugh, to argue, to plan out the next year of our ministry together. Because not only is new life about life together here in this place, but it's about life together among all of those people who call themselves Christians. United Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterian, Roman, Orthodox, and everything in between. We ask that you be with the leaders of our world, leaders of our nation, the leaders of our community. And we ask a prayer that you truly help them make the decisions that will bring all people closer to your kingdom. We ask that you be with all of those who serve us. Men and women overseas, those at home, those working in construction, those working as firefighters or police officers, those working on our highways during this season of construction, those who are taking care of our lawns and our landscapes, those who are serving us at our favorite restaurant, those who help prepare the food that we're going to eat tonight, those who go without who still serve anyway. Help make us servants in your work. Lord, we ask for all of those who need your love, your grace, and your mercy, those who are weak, those who are alone, those who are lost. Help us find them. Help us form them in your comfort. Help us lead them to still waters and restore them by your grace. We ask that you be with all of those suffering from weather and natural disasters. Give them peace and help us be your hands and feet in all of those situations. Lord, most of all, we ask that you be with your church. Truly make us one as you are one. Here in this place at New Life and everywhere around this world that we may truly do the most we can to impact our community, to transform lives, to transform this world into a place where you will rule forever. We pray this in your holy name.